wounded pride. Anyway. Let's say a prayer. All right. I'll pray. The most holy rosary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Well, what's your big topic, Rob? Okay. So this, I'm going to kind of lay the whole thing out there because I think it'll make the most sense that way. Um, and it could be, if you guys don't want to try to to tackle this, that's okay. But here's here's just how it how it played out in my mind. But ultimately where I'm getting to is on on the cast... Like I just feel a pull, and it's it's definitely tied with the year of mercy, I think. But to invite, especially um, women, to religious life, hmm. like that they heard an invitation. Okay, and here's how this kind of like transpired um, in my own prayer. But I had um, a one one day over break, not to get into too many of the details, but. Um, like had this encounter with uh, a woman about my age and it was like very like just didn't know her uh, is that a store run in the mill blah 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 and I had this like desire she was very pretty and afterwards I had this desire to kiss her okay and it was just one of those things like in case my vocation is director is listening I did not in fact kiss her or anything <laughs> of the of the like um but the desire was very much there. And so it came up. I honestly didn't think about it the rest of the day. But it just came up in later on in my examine uh, before bed. Um, just that desire and that, like, in some capacity uh, that God wanted to fulfill that desire, um, even if it wasn't how I expected. And and honestly, he he did. But that's not the point of of the story. But. So one, it was just kind of like a little reflection, which sounds kind of weird, but um, just how weird kissing is in general, like how it's it, it is kind of like across cultures, it seems like. But um, it just if you really think about it, it's a weird thing to do. Um, so I reflected on that a little bit. But then as I was just kind of like spurred on in prayer of that, of like the intimacy that God wants to, to give us, um, and like just encounter us in our, our humanness is that, um, the, ref the prayer kind of went to all of these, uh, I don't know, like beautiful women that I know that are just like, honestly waiting for, a good guy to come around to marry them or even to like ask them on a date. And I know like a lot of these women who are wonderful and they're just, they're just waiting. Um, and so I had a, um, heard, I, I didn't actually hear the talk, but I heard of this guy who gave a talk uh, he's a priest and he was saying that, um, in his opinion, like the culture has wounded, uh, the men so badly that like if you look at the reality of it 
Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing he's probably had this experience of wealth, like meeting so many good young women. Um, and he said that, like, if you look at the reality of that, there's honestly like there's not enough men that are formed in a way that would be able to like live in a virtuous relationship with these women. And so he had this theory and this isn't, I think it's just kind of almost amusing probably from prayer, but this theory that like through his mercy, God would actually like, even in, and I, this is hard because like vocationally, you know, to say, you know, there's a backup plan or I, I do think we're created for a specific purpose, but we've talked about before on here that like you can't choose wrong if, you know, if you trust God and like truly want to do his will. Cause he's not, he's not, he doesn't want anything from us. He wants to fulfill us. Um, but his point was that like in his mercy, God would actually, um, in a sense, like, like marry these women himself. And like, they long for this, um, this intimacy and God can fulfill it. And so it was like an invitation to not only religious life, but to consecrated life. Um, and I would just, it was a really cool reflection of just the, I've only been around a couple consecrated women in my entire life, but they're some of the most beautiful souls and like happiest people I've ever been around. Um, so that's a very quick run through. Don't have to talk about it. But it was just it was it was a cool part of my prayer over break. And I was like, man, that honestly, one, I think it could be fruitful for the cast. But at some point, I would love just discussions on it to help me flesh it out of like, where is God's like his mercy is like big in this, at least coming up in my own heart. You know, it's funny. I was just up at my parents house last night and we had dinner and played some hearts and just hanging out. I uh, haven't seen them in a couple of weeks because of that vacation I took but we were getting to talking my mom grew up in the late 50s early 60s and hey how's she doing by the way doing very well thank you good good healthy strong growing her hair back um they shaved like the front of her head if you're listening mom I'll edit this out (laughs) Um, (laughs) so she was talking about um as you do sometimes nostalgia of the old days and you know, 300 kids getting their first communion and all lined up out out the door of the church and around the block and everybody dressed in white and all these nuns around, you know, making sure the kids have their hands folded and all this stuff. And just sort of like the old days, golden age, uh, as it were, of the Catholic subculture. And I was just thinking to myself as she was saying, especially when she talked about having all these nuns around, uh, teaching them the catechism, teaching them how to be in church and, and everything. I was like, you know, and I just had a conversation with some of the older folks here at the parish, some of the daily mass goers, and it can, it can go for, I mean, these people are very faithful, but it can be, conversations can easily devolve into complaining um, about the good old days, how they're gone and we just need to go back there and blah, blah, blah. And for one thing, I'm just not, I'm just not into complaining. Um, and that doesn't help at all. Like our job is to pray f- in the moment now for God's plan to be fulfilled, however it's going to be fulfilled. But I thought to myself in the conversation last night with my mom, we can't 
do it. We can't get back to anything or we can't move forward without nuns, without sisters. Because I feel sometimes like, because oh, I was just thinking to myself, how would I do that? You know, me and the pastor, you know, or if you were lucky to have enough to have three priests at a parish, how could you form everybody on your own? It's like being a single dad. There's just no mothers, you know, and that, and I can go into the school and the kids can respond to me. I can teach them stuff, but I can't do what a sister can do. There's a, a gender complementarity in the spiritual order and in the, in the vocational life. Um, and that's one thing. I mean, you see the seminaries, you know, they're pretty going pretty well, but uh, religious life in this country, particularly women's religious, uh, it's just where, where are the vocations? You know, I go say mass for nuns and it's almost always um, homes for the aged and infirm. These nuns who have been faithful their whole lives, but their orders are just dying because they're dying. And it's sad, but, you know, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe this is God's way of kind of revitalizing both the church and answering a deep hunger in, in women's hearts for intimacy. I don't know. I'm not a woman. I'm not a nun, but I can see for sure as a priest, the need. Uh, and it's, and it's pretty desperate. I mean, a lot of lay people step up and do their part, but it's just not the same. Yeah. It's funny that you actually just mentioned all of that because I was able to, and that this is coming up, this is very providential. I just handed Rob two cards that I got when I was, they're sitting right here. When I was in Nashville, I had heard so much about the Nashville Dominicans and their morning prayer and mass are just absolutely beautiful. So I have family in Nashville and I decided to stay the night with one of them so that I could wake up really early at that, like six. So I, I, I could just be in Nashville already instead of having to drive four hours to get there. But uh, went to morning prayer and mass in Nashville with the Dominican sisters over there. And you would not believe this place, dude. It is insane. And even just your story there reminded me of a moment that I had. Um, the chapel there is absolutely beautiful. It was just built in 2006. And they have, they're one of those places where they have an, like an overflow of vocations. And so they have 300 that live there in the summers, but then about 200 when I was there, because they'll send them out to different cities uh, and different schools to teach. So then they'll come home in the summer and the mother house will be full, essentially. But they have 300 sisters that are there. So when I went there for morning prayer and mass, they all, you know, chant uh, the, the morning prayer, the liturgy of the hours. And they're kind of sectioned up in by age is what it looked like. So you have like the novices in the front, then the humanity students and the veils would get darker and darker as you go back. And, <laughs> and they had some like, After they had you level some, up achievement unlocked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so beautiful the way that they pray it. There's a lot of, they do have like a standing and sitting kind of sequence and then a bowing for the glory bees. And um, they're, they have some really, really old sisters they're very 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 old and then they had some people who were as young as they had like 30 girls who were discerning when i came and they were you could tell they were all in high school for the most part hmm. and so that was all just in this chapel and i was in the very very back and got to watch all of this and i remember there was a moment where i came up for communion and you know m my experience for the most part had either been the franciscan sisters who were 
are, who are amazing here in Chicago and they're all very young and full of life and energetic or like what you said, father, where it is, you know, almost like an elderly home where they're, most of the sisters are older and um, have someone taking care of them. But here in this place was a combination of both that I had, I had never seen before. It may not even exist anymore. Um, and so when I went up for communion, I was able to kind of get closer to the sisters and to see corners of the chapel that I hadn't seen. And, you know, I, I hadn't walked around or anything like that. And when I turned uh, around the pew, just took that turn to head back to my seat, um, what I found out was, I guess the sisters, the older sisters who are in wheelchairs, they get like front row seats pretty much. So they just kind of wheel them right up to the front. But so on the wheelchair, you could see the older sister was had her head bowed in prayer. And there was a younger sister who was kneeling behind the wheelchair and was using the wheelchair as almost like a prey do, as like a kneeler. Hmm. And so the one sister was just leaning essentially on the older sister, both deep in prayer together. One very old and almost decrepit and the other one very young and you could tell full of life and um, probably a newer sister that was there. And it blew me, it blew me away. I had never seen anything like that before. Um, and even just hearing myself say it, the clear, the clear posture of each of the other as being totally dependent on each other. One is actually leaning on the other mm. and the other, the younger sister is taking care of the older one. And the community was incredible. So when, when all the sisters would go out to teach or would be in school, the retired sisters, and I'm using uh, air quotes there, the retired sisters would come out and would do adoration. They would have the Blessed Sacrament exposed and they would pray for the apostles of teaching all day. So they said like our retired sisters never actually retire. So I'm just praying and they're popping in and out. And um, it was just a really incredible experience. And I got to go to one of their high schools where the sisters were teaching at. And it did. It, yeah, it, it kind of it kind of reminded me of stories that I had heard of like sisters in schools teaching. It was an all girls school and these sisters are just full of life. And, and it, what it reminded me of just to keep rambling here was over the break, I have a younger brother who is in formation with the legionaries and he is, he's in for, I think this is like his first six months. And I had another brother go up and visit him and, uh, we've been in pretty close contact. We got to talk to him a, a fair amount over break. But that's also, you know, a, a version of a religious life. And they're pretty hardcore up there. Uh, but apparently he's doing really, really well. And we went to a dinner where they were just kind of greeting our families and wanted to say thank you for giving the son to formation. And <clears throat> it was a big get together in the, the head of the territory in Atlanta, of the legionaries. He was talking about um, what it means to receive a vocation to the priesthood in religious life. And he said, yeah, we want to say thank you for, um, you know, the service that priests and religious uh, will provide for the church. But what we want to do is we want to invite people to this and be grateful for the adventure that your sons are going to be living as living someone in someone who's living in religious life and someone who has received a vocation to the priesthood. And to hear that, I think it highlighted the two beautiful things simultaneously because certainly they're at service of the church, but they are also going to be living a, an incredible adventure and uh, that vocation to religious life and to, you know, priesthood and 
and what we're talking about. Uh, I that was very much alive when I saw that with the Nashville Dominicans, and and like Rob said, I have. You see a sister who's living as a sister, and I have never seen a grumpy one. I have never seen an unhappy. <laughs> yeah, what's what's this, this myth of like the crabby old? I, I mean, I'm sure it. it happens sometimes, but sometimes I feel like it's a bandwagon badge of honor thing. People are like, oh, yeah, the sisters are so brutal, man. I, I suffered through <coughs> Catholic school. I know what that's all about. Blah, yeah, blah, like, what? Did they they killed you with love? Because that's, <laughs> that's the only thing I know from Honestly. sisters. Seriously. Yeah. Like, too much joy? All right, that's understandable. That's, <laughs> I can understand that. But... You know, it's funny because it's like one of the things also that's a critique of, and maybe a fair one of the of the so-called golden age of the, the 50s, which culturally, too, it was, it was a strange, it was an anomaly uh, of a time with all these people coming back from the war and just big families. And my mom lived on a block. She was the oldest of eight. And multiple of her neighbors had double-digit children families. Uh, and they would just go out in the street and play massive games of baseball and all this stuff. And um, now we're just all really spread thin and people are more isolated and technology has made life more convenient, but also isolated us from community in a lot of ways. So, um, but one of the f critiques of that era of why the church was pumping so good and why uh, all these kids, you know, Catholic schools were just full of kids because it was cheap to go there because nuns taught and they weren't paid, you know, or they were paid a pittance for all the work that they were doing and they were kind of like an underclass. And when the council came and gave them more liberty, they could take the habit off and they could do things other than live in the convent and, and teach grade school. They did. They became presidents of universities and um, all this other stuff, not just nurses and teachers or, or stuff like that. Um, but you know, now maybe, maybe the, like that hangover can be done with now or is nearly done with because when I look at a nun, for, it's kind of like the collar being the Roman collar being seen as like a symbol of my authority and my elite status as a cleric. Um, like that is illegible to me when I wear the collar out in public. I don't think that it puts me above people. I think that it makes me, um, kind of a freak and doesn't command respect it kind of um does the opposite you know people are like what the heck what are you doing here get out of here priest person <laughs> and so to me it's an evangelical witness and it's a, it's a sacrifice uh because sometimes you'd rather just be incognito but when i go to the grocery store i'm not going to take my collar off because i'm ashamed uh, and i'm certainly not going to use the pretense of like oh i'm just a normal guy i don't want people to think i'm above them like whatever um so don't act above them, but but wear the collar. And so the the, the same thing goes for religious life, uh, particularly for nuns, because when I see them, I don't see like an underclass of cheap labor. I look at a, a sister and I think, okay, so Christ is my master. I'm a disciple and I'm a priest. So Christ has complete authority over my life. And this person I'm looking at has been called to be his spouse. So what other reaction would you have to that, the spouse of the, the wife, the bride of your master, than awe and reverence? Uh, it's like you're in the presence of the queen because she's betrothed to the king. And therefore, no matter how menial of a task, whether it's uh, stuff that the sisters do at the food pan or the, uh, at the mission in, in the West Side or Dominican teachers, whatever, you know, like their vocation has exalted them in a way, even though they 
are the humble handmaids of the Lord. Uh, I don't know. There's a beauty there that is maybe being recovered uh, without all of the baggage, the emotional baggage of uh, feeling oppressed or people with bad memories about crabby nuns and and stuff like that. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there is just something. Yeah. Like I like that. The I mean, you're in a sense you know, in the flesh, you see the queen, like when you when you see a, a sister, because you see the bride of the king, which is just profoundly beautiful. But uh, when you were talking before, Bisque, about just the need um, today for sisters, like we can't do it. It's desperate. Without them. I know. No, I that uh, resonated very deeply with me so over break i just got done reading the book gates of fire which Metz, by the way book. dude <laughs> have you read it Metz? baller recommendation yeah, 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 I, read it. He, I was on my 30 day and you get those two days of repose on it and so him and porter and i went out um both like the best days ever dude. oh my gosh it was um, so i would get off you know i'd been like on the 30 day for 13 days or something like that and what you get like 12 hours. So went out for a huge lunch, met up with Mets and Porter for a big old cigar and just hang out for like three hours. And but anyway, both days they were both going through this book and told me like all about it. And so I read it and it was incredibly good. Have you read it? I'm assuming this. Yeah, it's the book about the Thermopylae <laughs> battle, right? Yeah, the, the battle of Thermopylae. So mm -hmm. so official three dogs north recommendation gates of fire. Um, run, don't walk. Run, don't walk. End of, it don't, end of the month don't, or death, whichever comes first. Yeah. Don't see the movie 300 and think you've, you know, gotten your due. Go get the book and read it. But um, also, spoiler alert, is that... Uh, <laughs> they all die except one. <laughs> um, well, all the 300 do die. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I was very moved by the book because when they talk about... Um, the you know the one character talks a lot about what is the opposite of fear that question and he eventually like works his way through that the answer is love but how he articulates it is very beautiful um and he says that like while in some men leonidas and he names a couple others you get glimpses of it but where you see it the opposite of fear most consistently is in a mother's love that women um show it more often than men i found that book to exalt women a lot especially the wife of leonidas well the, a strong so, character so the end scene is um is leonidas he calls in so he handpicks the entire 300 soldiers going with him knowing that they were going to their desk all of them knew that and leonidas picked all of them and only one of the women um, that he only one of the women that was like all the women were going to lose a husband or a son, et cetera. But only one woman was going to lose a husband and a son. There was only one that they were double like a, mm -hmm. a um, father son duo. And so right before the they leave for battle, he calls like this woman into his chamber and his wife, in a very beautiful scene, the queen, meets with her first. 
and um <clears throat> and then Leonidas comes in and he lets the wife kind of like freak out on him and scream at him and be mad at him for taking both her son and her husband in this and then he goes on to explain to her that the reason he picked the 300 soldiers that he did was not because of their own courage or their own valor, but it was because of the virtue of their wives. And he said, you know, with the Persians coming, Greece is going to come very close to falling and being completely overrun. But he thought they could win. And he said, all of Greece in the hardest times will look to the Spartans. And all of the Spartans in the hardest times will look to the women who lost men at the Battle of Thermopylae. Hmm. And so he was pretty much saying to her, like, I'm sorry, but I see the virtue in you to, in a sense, be a queen, like is, is how he words it, um, that you have to be now mother to the entire Spartans, um, even though it means losing your husband and your son. They will look to you and then his wife as well. Like they will look to you two as the leaders of this culture. And Leonidas is going to die. So he, in a sense, leaves the whole Spartan race to his wife and this one woman. And I just found that like profoundly beautiful on the importance of of women and like the dignity of women. Um, and I, I think it can kind of relate to like what you are saying there. It's like that's not a that's not paying lip service to um talking about the need like there's a legitimate need there and i mean god's got to provide it i don't want anyone to hear this podcast and get the idea of like spiritual heroism of you know i oh now i i really should be a nun because the church needs it it's like no if there's yeah. one thing we're against in this podcast is pretty much that idea <laughs> right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'll but just gut it yeah 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 that's right gut it out it's so true because when you talk about the need for them, you're not talking about um, necessarily a service that they'll provide. Although, of course, what they can do in terms of activity for the church is wonderful. But you're talking about the way that you are as a woman teaches humanity something that men alone cannot do. Yeah, It is impossible. Right. And the last thing we need is women just doing jobs that men can do. And, and ignoring the jobs that we can't, you know, like to say, like the women's ordination thing, why wouldn't you open it up to, to women? Um, I mean, it's a big, long, complicated debate that has a lot to do with um, a lot of different theological things, scriptural and traditional. Uh, but it's it's sort of like, it's so us to have that debate rather than to say like, hey, can we address the fact that in our culture, motherhood has basically become like a synonym of slavery or oppression yeah that uh sterility is considered a burden uh, no sterility is like this oh, key to freedom yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like oh the way that we can really set women free is by pumping them full of enough hormones to make them barren yeah and you're just like is am i taking crazy pills like this just doesn't seem pro-woman to me um, yeah, that's and that's kind of the kicker, which we had a super this is just a fun conversation. I'm just really enjoying this. But we had a cool conversation. It's very politically left. correct, too. It, I think, oh, yeah. Well, it's just to, to realize like, <clears throat> man, oh, man, women teach us so much. And and I'm not like not just doing that lip service. 
when I look at my mom and my sisters and they actually teach me how to love by loving me and I learn how to be more myself and be a man when I'm loved appropriately by women in a way that nobody else in the entire world can do. No dude can teach me that, that I need a woman to teach me how to love. Uh, and it, it just reminds me what you were just talking about. We noticed uh, before break, we were watching a couple of older movies and we had this big, um, I don't know, we'll just say attraction for Grace Kelly. <laughs> Grace Kelly is just <laughs> incredibly beautiful. Some might call it obsession. Yeah. yeah Let's yeah. call it attraction. Infatuation, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That's what my spiritual director keeps saying, but I don't listen to him. Uh, and we were just talking about in one of her movies, it's a Hitchcock movie, Rear Window, how she dominates the movie. She dominates the movie. And <clears throat> I would say she's, a, I mean, she's, of course, one of the main characters. She's dating Jimmy Stewart, and she's way too good for Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart, but Jimmy Stewart won't have her. They're like, Jimmy, dude, you're an idiot. This is Grace <laughs> Kelly. You don't know how good you've got a Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yeah. And Grace Kelly just keeps diving into his world of lunacy and insanity. And it just so happens that he ends up, I will, I won't spoil the movie. But the point is uh, just basically how much she dominates the screen and how much as a viewer, I perpetually wanted to see Grace Kelly on the screen, interacting with different characters and being herself there. And we, we compared it to another one of her movies, how to catch a thief which she is also one of the main characters, and she's trying to win over Cary Grant. Um, she's a supporting actress in that sense. But how she didn't really, it was just kind of like a lesser dominating role than uh, the one she played in Rear Window. But we look to a lot of the movies today, a lot of the contemporary current movies, and really notice that uh, like playing that mother, playing that role as a mother, there's there's very few actresses that will fully dive into that. And so looking at the lifespan of female actresses, it seems like there's always, and that's the case for Hollywood in general, but there's always going to be younger people who are moving in, trying to play that young superstar role. But with the men, you can see as they get older, there's a comfortability in playing the older classy style gentleman. But we notice with some of the female actresses, there was a real resistance to play, like, I guess an age-appropriate role. That there's, there's constantly a draw back to, I want to be the young superstar, mm. you know, smoking hot actress. And because of that, like, and, and we, we pointed to specifically to Sandra Bullock as someone who does it really, really well. Not, not someone who wants to, she's someone who plays her age very mm -hmm. well. And she's comfortable in the role as being a mother and as being, kind of that mentor-loving female figure. And to see the raving success of all of her movies, all of her movies, in Gravity, she plays a mother role. Mm -hmm. And then in The Blind Side yeah. particularly, there's a warmth to that, that it's it's just incredible. Whereas you see a lot of other actresses, there's a refusal to to kind of go away mm -hmm. in, in, in from the younger beautiful like actor flashy star mm -hmm. actress role relax grace kelly grace <laughs> kelly where was i grace kelly of course but throughout the whole movie is honestly when i was watching it i got the sense that she was influencing jimmy stewart without jimmy stewart even knowing oh yeah like she the whole time 
what she was doing was far more important than what Jimmy Stewart was doing. Oh, for sure. He was just obsessing in his weird little world. And Grace Kelly was the one who really brought like a beauty to the movie. Jimmy Stewart, you're like, you're weird, dude. You're just cooped up here by yourself looking at people. Dude's already weird enough. That plot just makes him even weirder. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is. And then she brings, it's like this gust of beauty that's coming in and just elevates the entire scene. And in doing so, she actually elevates, I think, in, in a lot of ways, Jimmy Stewart. And yeah, like what you're saying with, with the Gates of Fire is they are the pillar of culture. They are the pillar of civilization yeah. that men were, will stomp around. Think about <laughs> that because that's what's really happening is yeah. that whole book, you're right, is is all bet on the women mm-hmm. of that culture to yeah. sustain, provide, to continue the existence of it. And the dude, the whole book is about the dudes yeah. off raising around, doing something <laughs> that ultimately they know is going to lead to death. Yeah, It's not even going to have a real practical effect. I mean, of course, the effect that it has is legendary sure. and very influential. But at the end of the day, the women are the ones who are actually sustaining life. Yeah, it in just, that place. It doesn't take away from the dignity or the um, the power that's there through the witness of the men. I mean, that's an incredible part of the book. And that's both. But it just it just drilled me at the end of how that was written. That, um, yeah, push comes to shove. What that legendary story was writing on was not the men at the gates. It was the women um, that loves them, and. Yeah. I, it just it kind of changed everything, honestly. How I read that that story when when they had that dialogue at the end, but um, well, I don't, I don't wanna, know. So, go, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I don't want to put too fine, fine a point on this. Uh, like this is a whole apologia for male dominated culture, but it, it does. Uh, I was just thinking about this memory I haven't thought of for a long time. When I was in the Holy Land, we went to um, the Western Wall of the Temple on the Sabbath on Friday night when the sun was going down and all the Jew, Jewish people were gathering for their Sabbath ceremonies or their, their worship and stuff. And some of the Jews over there in Israel um, are very like lively in their worship. They, they dance around and sing songs and just go nuts on the Sabbath. Um, and we were up at kind of a high level looking down on the whole thing and you could just see these massive people coming in, but everything is very old school. The way they divide up, uh, kind of like how Muslims worship, like women are in the back and men are in the front and women don't speak and men are the ones singing the songs, doing the dances. And there was one, um, synagogue we could see, it was like an open air. We could see it off to our left and it was smaller, but it was, uh, I don't think it's Hasidic. It was one of the one of the Orthodox Jewish uh, sects that's very um, like joyful in their, in the way they worship. It's not very solemn. It's, it's a lot of uh, emotive kind of worship. And there, there was like kind of a chancel screen between where the women were seated in the back and not dancing. And then up in the front, the men are just like dosy doing around. I mean, it looked ridiculous. How crazy. How crazy. And it was music was super loud and everybody's screaming and singing. And I was standing up there with a couple of seminarians and then this German woman who was with her daughter who uh, wanted to go to Israel for her like 21st birthday or something. And they were good friends, uh, mom and daughter, and they traveled together. So they were there. And this, you know, this woman was German. She was middle aged. Um, 
I thought if there's anybody who's of like the modern Western value of like, let's just equal out the playing field. The genders are all the same. Women should be able to do everything men can do. I was looking over and even in my own heart was like, this seems a little unfair that the women just have to sit back there and the men do all this dancing and worshiping. And I made a comment to her to that effect. And she said something like, uh, it blew me away because she's like, well, I'm sure they're happy to see their men so happy. And even that that phrase of like their men, like these, <laughs> it kind of turned the whole thing on its head for me because I was like, yeah, they're the ones that are above the men because they're like, uh, they're like their children. They just need to like blow some steam off and the women are the ones in control. They're like, okay, they need to do this um, and let them take this little, <laughs> this role and this makes them happy. And that'll keep the family and everything that's really important uh, motoring forward, you know, religiously in our civilization. And um, I don't know, it's all it's all a, a question of how you view it, you know, like what is the primary good? Is it that you are out front, you're the one, you're the Leonidas who gets his name in the history books because you sacrificed your life? Or you're the one whose name may, doesn't necessarily get in the history books, but you're the actual one who carried on a civilization into the future? Uh, from the ruins of uh, an army coming to try to conquer you. Like both are very important. And if everybody has to be the face, everybody has to be in front with their name on the building, uh, then that doesn't make for a very healthy society, you know? I hate men. <laughs> <laughs> that was essentially what you just said to wrap it up was, was kind of the point that I was... I was going to make anyways, but it, yeah, because the guys going out to die, that's not unimportant. And the women who are staying behind, that's not unimportant. Both are very important in the grand scheme of things. Both are massively important. And so it's whenever you try to do the who who's first, this or that, you know, we talk about it all the time, but that's not the Catholic way, man. Both are incredible and both are necessary. That's why they exist. Um, yeah, seems yeah. bizarre. We have to make an apologetic for it, but it's the truth. It is. Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, I still have a desire. I mean, just to talk a little bit to about, uh, I don't know, just like if if there are any, um, like women or or like men thinking about religious life too, like a religious brother or religious priest or whatever. Men thinking about becoming this. nuns. Forget it, dude. We don't have men nuns. You're excluded. <laughs> it. I'm done. There's the yeah. church again. Uh, I'm done. There's the church again. You're not good Excuse. enough to be a nun. Yep. Um, but just like talking as brothers, I mean, obviously everything has to be worked out in spiritual direction through the desires and fulfillment and peace, et cetera. But um, I don't know. I really have had uh, like that uh, encounter with like women around my age a lot and uh, uh, across like just in kind of all the different spots life has taken me I've met women like in that just waiting for um you know being uh very very holy and and waiting for that uh guy to to come along I mean to the point that like I've had conversations with friends that it's like you know, almost, I don't know if they would say it quite like this, but like kind of giving up 
or not or putting on the back burner the idea of like being totally swept off their feet by like Prince Charming, like that whole narrative and saying like, man, I just wish I would be asked out on a date by a good guy, you know, and that it breaks my heart That's so when, sad. when I hear that. Um, but I mean, just to like throw it out there, um, you know, because like in that, I, I guess, discernment that I I do very much feel that like Jesus wants to fulfill those longings in every single one of those girls. And it's going to look different for each one. And I do wonder if um, like if for a lot of them or at least some of them, it would be to consecrated life or to at least be open to it. And I guess the question would like become for the, you know, the purposes of the podcast of like, like all of those desires and longings for marriage and for a family to be a mother, um, et cetera. Uh, like you, you can know without a doubt that God wants to fulfill that. And I would just offer that sometimes like how he wants to fulfill it will surprise us. And so I guess like the question is, if he could fulfill it via consecrated or religious life, like, would you say yes to that? Um, and, and some, I'm not saying like in any way to question a, a concrete call to the married vocation, which is like, that is a path to sainthood and we need, like, we need people to say yes to that too. Um, but that was just growing in me, like. Yeah, to just talk openly about, I guess, over, especially over break, I just noticed that of like, um, not only do we need it from the practical standpoint, but um, it's too beautiful of a vocation not to talk about and not to offer people in my mind. And another thing. To be the spouse of Jesus? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's super crazy. It's crazy to the point where it's like tough to imagine. That was actually one of the I don't know. It was a question that I would always have like Jesus and all these polygamous relationships. He has tons of spouses because it's yeah, but he's, he's God though, man. He's infinitely pouring into each of them, Mm -hmm. which is really amazing. Um, so father, because of how much you talked about it, I read surprised by joy. Oh yeah. Over break. And I, I dug it a lot. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. And, the more that I read C.S. Lewis, which I've been on a pretty bad binge of C.S. Lewis <laughs> lately, it has been wonderful, actually. Um, but he talks so much about how desire plays a part in the development of a human being and the development of the human soul as well, coming to fruition the way that God desires it. And one of the big things he talks about in Surprised by Joy is, and in another one of his books, The Pilgrim's Regress, is how in his own life, following the desires that he found present in his heart, led him to where he was today. And that's an honest, an honest exploration of really what's going on interiorly. And it just struck me when you were talking about, yeah, if you do have a desire to be a mother and to be a sister and to be uh, a spouse of a beautiful husband who sweeps you off your feet, to be romanced, to be romanced, follow that desire. Like pray, pray into that because that desire is what you were created for to, to be romance, to be loved and to love your children, to love 
other people in that way is what you were created for. And so God putting that desire into your heart is already leading you and is already there with you, um, pointing you in a certain direction. So whatever that means practically, um, obviously it's going to come down to prayer, but I, I, I like just highlighting that desire and praying, praying into it because as you pray into it, it'll grow and develop in, in reality, in your, in your day-to-day life and where that desire leads to of, man, I really want to mother someone in this way. or I want to be a sister in this way to somebody that's going to look like something practically. And this is how the Lord leads you in your life, in your vocation by following your desire to be happy, to find fulfillment. Um, I, that's, that was very true in my own case with my vocation, but, um, yeah, I guess that was something really cool that I appreciated from C.S. Lewis was that God's desires in our hearts lead us to becoming the person we were created to be, that God desires for us to be. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? Before you go, I know you need to go, but did you have a good Christmas and are you doing well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a really nice Christmas. Dude, I have a dope present for you. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't get it for you, but... Who got it? I did. I'm not going to spoil it. When's the next time we're going to be able to see you? Ooh, I don't know. Okay, well, maybe I should just tell you because I don't know when the next time... Father Friar Thomas uh, received a bag over break from one of my friends who's also a listener is the girl who made the CDs for the pilgrimage to Pope Francis and uh, of three dogs North. of three dogs North. Oh, so yeah. all of the people carpooling. <laughs> she turned it into a CD. She turned it into a CD. Oh, lols she called me and it. she said, I, I called MLB and they wouldn't give me express written consent <laughs> to, to make these. Um, she uh, loves the podcast is an amazing girl. And she made you a t-shirt that says karma has no friends. No. Dude. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. She, I was thinking about that the other day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> dude. She actually made you a shirt for it. And yes. Okay. I'll drive, I'll, I'll drive up there town? today. I'll drive up there today and get it. <laughs> what? I'm just coming. I'm coming. Get the shirt ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. She is legend. Legendary man. So she gave. She's buddies with Brian Thomas. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I met her at a wedding in Louisiana, and she said, "If I give it to Friar Thomas, can you take it from him and then give it to Father <laughs> Connor?" And I said, "Yes." So, oh, dude, I'm so pumped here. about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank Isn't that you exciting? If you're listening. Thank you. Yeah, it's Danielle. Thank you, Danielle. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.